The newspaper used to talk at you. It used to tell you what's going on. The problem is that the algorithms from platforms like Facebook and Google and others so narrowly limit the content that you're served. It's identifying your preferences. You're just gonna get these 10 organizations information. Hello and welcome to the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast, where you're going to hear conversations that generate one aha moment after another for you. Today, we're going to be introducing you to a social entrepreneur who has a story much like most of us that involves this turn and that turn and another. And he has created some systems as he went through his story that left a wonderful legacy of progress and possibility for people. And today we're going to learn about Ryan Heafy's view of media and what's possible and pride in our communities. I just couldn't wait to have this discussion after I chatted with Ryan recently. So here we are at the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. That name tells you what I'm all about. We are at the Goodness Exchange and the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast are about shining a light on all the innovators in the world that aren't getting nearly enough air in their wings to rise to the top of our awareness. Everything about the media is doom and gloom, and, and Ryan's going to tell us how to get around some of that today. But what we've got here is somebody who has found a way to meet obstacles, create new things, and we can learn from him. So Ryan, thank you so much for joining us on the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. Thanks, Linda. It's excited to be here. So I have to tell you little bits of Ryan Heafy's story so you know what we're into here. And then Ryan's going to give us the highlights himself because it is a fascinating way to look at the possibilities in our own lives. Ryan was a mechanical engineer who started out at Sikorsky Helicopters, an aircraft company that most of you have probably heard of. And he has such a great legacy there that I can't wait to share. I'm not even going to begin to try and explain it. And then he took that life and translated it into small the small business world. Then took that level of insight and translated it into the community into growth at the community level, having something to do with um, STEM STEAM projects and communities. And then he is now the. Are you a co-founder, Robin, of uh, Six AM City? Or the that founder. Correct. My co-founder, co-founder is also Ryan. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's right. That's how come I, I was a little mixed up there. Well, I just got to tell you, you know, he's gone from the Fortune 500 world to as local as one human being can be. And I want him to help us celebrate that own path in our own lives. So welcome, Ryan. Share some of your story with us so people can understand where their story can go. Sounds great, Linda. Thank you. Why don't I start a little bit back to my childhood at most. I was, I grew up in a family of engineers. I was born and raised in Connecticut and the path that was set for me by my parents, my guidance counselors by society was to grow up to go to a four-year degree and to come out and take a solid, stable job in the workforce that paid me a fair salary and, and was going to set me up to, to raise a family. Going through that journey and that expectation of a four-year degree, I followed all the way through college at the University of Connecticut, became a mechanical engineer. And when I graduated, I went and started working at Sikorsky Aircraft. I got some really unique opportunities. And at 23 years old, I helped to lead the dual sourcing of the Blackhawk helicopter transmission and got to travel all around the world, kind of learning supply chain development, quality systems, what that looked like for the for this big company. But it was like moving 
a freight liner. Like it was just, it took forever to get anything done. It was not as rewarding as one might hope. These big fortune 500 companies are so burdened by legacy infrastructure and process over processed challenges that it wasn't the most rewarding experience for me and also didn't create personal wealth. You know, you have this opportunity, you're in there, you are a an individual, you're a number in this grand sea of people and you really don't get to shine. And it just didn't bring the reward that I was looking for or the joy that I was looking for in my life. And so when I completed that large supply chain project, it had opened up my eyes to a lot of opportunities around the country and internationally. And I started getting recruited by lots of the different companies I was working with. And that was a pivotal time for me in 2012, where I was able to exit the Fortune 500 company in Connecticut, move to South Carolina, and help to run an aerospace and grow an aerospace manufacturing company down here. On a way smaller business level, right? Way smaller. So we're thinking tens of thousands of people at Sikorsky down to like 100 I really, it was like 30 people initially in this smaller manufacturing facility and taking it from doing a couple million dollars in revenue to tens of millions of dollars in revenue in just 24 months is a significant scale. And so building a team, building a culture, learning what works and what doesn't work. While I was not the owner of this business, I did sit in a leadership role and allowed me a lot of insight into how to run a small business and then go through an uh, actual private equity exit through that process. In that journey, I did recognize and see a lot of toxicity that I did not like. And there was some things that I I wasn't as aligned with as I, I would have liked to be. And we also struggled specifically with one big challenge, which was workforce development and a talent pipeline and recognize that in South Carolina, specifically the workforce pipe line of skilled labor was something that had significant opportunity for improvement. A lot of the folks that we hired were from out of state. We brought lots of people on board. We churned through lots of folks and it was kind of disappointing in a lot of ways to me. And so I tried to step back and figure out how how could I play a role after exiting the company and changing that? I had already been involved in lots of boards and things locally. And so where do I, where do I fit into that, that spectrum? I don't want to miss this moment because that is the pivotal moment that many of us have in this great resignation or the great reset. Of course, you've heard that term, right? For sure. Those last three sentences that you just put together are where so many people are at. What you did to me, and, and correct me if, if I'm wrong, but I don't want us to breeze over this point. You didn't just look at the toxicity. You didn't just, you looked at the missed opportunity. It sounds like to me, you really took the missed opportunity to heart. And then you faced forward and and looked for how to take that experience, good and bad, and create something new. Because I don't like people really thinking that they've been wasting their time wherever they're at. I would say- It's all important, right, Ryan? Yeah, that's all very fair. I mean, all of the lessons learned are really what set me up for success today. And a lot of it, the stuff that was challenging is where the biggest lessons were learned and how to overcome and adapt to those challenges. And I will say not without a lot of work. And a lot of people today are evaluating this great resignation concept or leaving their stable jobs and opportunities to go into more of a flexible work environment or entrepreneurial mindset. My caution is that that's not the right thing for everyone. And it, it, it comes with a lot of risk and a lot of reward. So evaluating what's right for you, I think is going to be really important for folks. But I will share that after I exited that space, 
I did take a more philanthropic journey in my life and ended up entirely broke. And we'll talk a little bit about that here in a second, but that was part of the risk and it hurt a lot, but it was one of the most rewarding times. So when I exited ADEX Machining Technologies, a small manufacturing company that I was helping to run, I had enough capital to go invest in workforce development. I helped to lead and develop a nonprofit called Imagine Upstate, which was helping to showcase the opportunities in manufacturing and technical career paths uh, in the upstate of South Carolina. We raised three quarters of a million dollars, brought 25,000 kids and their families out on Main Street to show off drones, robots, 3D printing, virtual reality, all this fun, exciting stuff, and let parents and kids recognize that there is a different path than a traditional four-year degree that applies to lots of folks in the community. Even what I would consider more middle, upper class, white collar folks recognizing that I don't, you know, sending my kid to college to get a liberal arts degree without a definitive career path and rack up that debt might be different when they could go and you know they're inspired by coding and programming and video games to do the two-year degree path, have it paid for by an employer, come out debt-free, making a six-figure salary, maybe better aligned for your child. So I think what we were trying to do is open up people's minds and opportunities to recognize that while society says one thing is the right way, it's not the right way for everyone or for a lot of folks. And so providing that education and opportunity to folks was really rewarding. I probably the first time I cried in celebration of something that I've done, I think was the day after we held this festival. We went from concept to execution in nine months. It was highly rewarding. We had more people out there telling us that their lives were changed because of the experience that they had. We were able to pass that program off to Clemson University to continue to grow. The challenge I had while rewarding is it doesn't necessarily pay the salary or compensation that I was looking for to grow my own personal wealth. And through that journey, I became a significant fundraiser in the community and was sought after to help raise funds for a lot of other programs. And that actually wasn't the greatest experience either because every time someone saw me, I was coming to ask them for capital. And while that, while I was good at it, it made my relationships with folks not as positive or authentic as they were previously. So I decided to step back from the nonprofit space and really take time to reinvest in how can I leverage technology to better our communities? And I started to facilitate some corporate social hackathons or corporate innovation programming with some larger Fortune 500 companies that I was familiar with, which was really exciting to see how they could participate more effectively in their communities and innovate internally in their companies. And from there, spun into other different tech startups. But through that process, I lost all of my money. I not lost. I liquidated my 401k. I was taking out credit cards after credit card after credit card. I was living off of credit. And I got myself to about $80,000 in credit card debt. I had no revenue stream and a ton of debt. It was extremely stressful. And at the end of 2015, I was deciding what to do next. Do I continue to pursue this path? I have no money. I have lots of ideas. I am not sure who I need to be in business with, what this looks like. And I went home to Connecticut to my parents' house for a month, evaluated where I needed to be. And I said, I'd go back to South Carolina, spend a month to evaluate what was next. And in that time, I 
made a list of the top folks I thought were most influential in Greenville, South Carolina. And I made it my goal to meet with them. And I basically had 60 or so coffee meetings with no actual intent to other than to ask for advice. And typically what you hear today is ask if you want to raise money, ask for advice. If you want to get advice, ask for money. It was very much that concept. I was asking for advice. And what I ended up with was a lot of opportunities that came out of that and what I might do next. Most of those were not aligned with what I really wanted to do. But the last conversation that I had was with a good friend of mine. His name is Ryan Johnston. He's my business partner today. Ryan and I met through Leadership Greenville in South Carolina, which was a leadership development program that's put on by the Chamber of Commerce. And that whole entire program was designed to connect local leaders with the community to figure out how you might fit into helping grow the community locally. And Ryan and I were movers and shakers, challenging status quo at just about every turn uh, in the community being like, come on, why can't we just do that? You know, let's get this bike trail another 10 miles down the thing. What does that look like? Why aren't we jumping on this project or opportunity? And we saw a lot of alignment and uh, Ryan and I sat down over drinks on multiple occasions towards the end of my coffee adventure. And he he was the publisher of Upstate Business Journal. His parents owned the largest local media print publications in the upstate of South Carolina. And he recognized the need for a digital presence, a way to better connect and drive impact locally. The media landscape was changing. And he asked me if I could help come solve that for that. He needed an operator. He needed someone that could put something together to help them penetrate the digital space and it aligned with my passion. It aligned with the opportunity. And so I came on board. I came on board as the contractor with his family's company and said, hey, let's figure out how to solve the challenges in local media. Okay. This is, I mean, even if we just pause here, to me, this is part of a big circle. If you ask me, you started out at a Fortune 500 company. Then you went to a small business, which got bought out and was headed towards that Fortune 500 model. Then you took what you learned from there and you went to the nonprofit world. Then you took from what you learned there and you did this fundraising where you were kind of back to connections with the Fortune 500 world. And then, and then you still couldn't couldn't keep your bread on the table of finances, and you took a pause. The part of your story that I I really think is wonderful in connecting to those people who are listening to this is it's okay to pause. Can you just talk just a little bit about that step for us? Because I think then what happened after you had the pause, you just went on this great quest for for ideas and possibility. And that transition right there is where you make sense of everything you've been through. And then you see that landscape. Talk to us a little bit more about that pause and what you did next. Because I know a lot of people in this world are right there right now. I think the pause for me was an evaluation of risk and reward, opportunity, versus stable, sustainable thing that I knew I I could always fall back on manufacturing. Out of it fought long enough, but had the opportunity and job offers constantly to go back and hop back into that space that would have given me a nice, comfy six-figure salary. And I chose not that. I mean, I went through and evaluated and it was... It was hard. Like I'm out here as a a single male in Greenville, South Carolina, trying to date people and establish what might be a family someday. 
and I'm faking it till I made it. You know, I was driving a car that was nicer than I should have been. I was going out and taking people on dates and trying to look like I was already there. People knew that I was running. I mean, I was running and doing a lot of things and I appeared to be in a much better position than I was, but behind the scenes, dealing with a totally different struggle on, is this something that I can actually can, can I actually be this? You know, a lot of people put on a front and try to show that they are something, but it is a fake it till you make it sometimes. But that is kind of the entrepreneurial mindset. You are in it in this grind. You have to put on an amazing front. You have to be a good salesperson for what you're after. And I made a bet on myself at that point in time and, and took this massive risk. And I was basically, I was literally at the point where I decided that I was either going to go into bankruptcy on purpose and and just restart to just purge my debt or I was going to figure it out. And but at that point in time, you're also in a different mindset where you know that failure is no longer an option uh, or it's the it is that extreme option if you're going to go that route. And so I put in and fought harder than ever to to succeed next. So to pivot there, I think I recognized that my opportunity was locally. I recognized that and understood what the gaps were in our market, that people did not know what was going on locally. They needed a better vehicle for communication to understand how they can connect with their cities. I recognized through the nonprofit that, you know, I tried to bring all these people out on Main Street, but there was different aspects of our community that just didn't have that same luxury, that the way money was provided on a local level was not equal or effective. I mean, all these people give money to charity, but it's not for, it's not for the operational side of nonprofits. It's for programmatic. So like you get these big companies, they cut a check for 50 grand that helps this one classroom in this one school. It doesn't help anybody else. People, and, and there's no marketing, there's no PR, there's no additional support behind that capital. So no one knows. And quite honestly, the local media at the time was not covering any of that stuff anymore. What, what we saw happening in our society is that aside from media becoming politically divisive and people losing trust and credibility uh, with their local media outlets and for sure national media outlets, which is all the more pervasive today than it was even, even then. but there was this, there was an opportunity to change how people consumed content locally. This content that they were being served was divisive. It was being consumed by private equity, like all the local newspapers. If you look around and you're seeing this, the, the newspaper that you get delivered maybe, or that you consume online, they have pivoted to a model where they're selling off to private equity groups just for sustainability. And when that happens, those private equity companies come in and they cut and gut the staff a lot of times. So that means that your education coverage locally goes away. Sports coverage locally goes away. Nonprofit coverage locally goes away. So you have this landscape changing. It's happened in the in the newspaper side. It's about to start happening more pervasively in the uh, TV and broadcast side where all these things are rolled up. But at the same time, what we're seeing is that content is being created in a more disparate manner where everyone is a content creator today. My grandmother taking a picture and sharing it on her Instagram account downtown is user-generated content that sometimes is more effective in sharing about the local community than the local journalist's story that's hidden behind a paywall. So you've got this journalist that writes about some school program that is shared on the local 
only online on the local newspaper's website that if you don't pay to subscribe, you you can't even read it. So it maybe gets 500 people's viewing it total. And then you've got my grandmother over here who takes a picture of this program. She shares it on Instagram. It gets picked up and shared by a couple other more influential people locally. And now 30,000 people saw it and it conveyed the message a lot more effectively. So what we recognized locally is that the legacy models were broken. There's an opportunity to capture content from user-generated content. Every business these days has its own PR that it's doing and needs to get its message out. Whether you're an accounting firm talking about your business and the values and the culture and stuff to get people to work with you, or you're a nonprofit, nonprofits all now have their own communication channels. Education, there's educational nonprofits that spin up that are become the voice for these educational initiatives. They're replacing the way that we consumed content historically. The newspaper used to talk at you. It used to tell you what's going on. Today, there is a dialogue that's happening and it's happening in lots of different organizations. The problem that we recognized is that the algorithms from platforms like Facebook and Google and others so narrowly limit the content that you're served in your community. It's narrowed because it's identifying your preferences. So it says, okay, you follow these 10 organizations. You're just going to get these 10 organizations information. So my wife who loves food and wine festivals, but is not Hispanic and doesn't follow the Hispanic Alliance would never hear about the Hispanic Alliance's food festival. It just doesn't show up in her preference set. So we recognize that if we created a media entity that's digital in nature, and opened up our social media listening, meaning paying attention to a broader scope of content locally, we could package all those snacks of information, deliver it every single morning via email in a five-minute read, conversational in tone, opening up dialogue with our community and exposing people to ways they can participate more effectively locally. And we did that. And we did that so well that when we launched in Greenville, South Carolina, we did the need was so great from an advertiser perspective to connect in a more positive way locally and associate their brands with a more positive brand or distribution channel. We went out and we pre-sold a half a million dollars of advertising without even having a product. These folks came on, they supported the, the mindset and what we were trying to accomplish. We put we were able to put advertisers next to positive content in the community, driving economic impact, allowing them to convert where there's actual click-through and engagement in content. And it was a real win. And if you look at right now, the landscape in a community, whether it's your school system, nonprofit, small business, Everyone's creating content, but they don't have a good distribution vehicle. They can post their stuff to Facebook. They can post on their Insta handle or whatever, but it's only being distributed to their current following. We have been able to build out and have and establish a subscriber base of 50 to 100,000 readers per city that we operate in. And we have an equal number of people in social following. So if we go carry a local nonprofit story, we're putting out to 200,000 people today, not to the 2000 that are in their mailing list. So we're able to go and sell out a nonprofit's event in, in four hours in the morning. We're able to drive participation and impact in boards, in charities and giving in a whole array of different things in each community. And that's where we've changed the game. So what is 6am city <laughs> 6am city today is the company that ryan johnston uh my this our ceo and my co-founder and myself founded which is a daily email newsletter product 
delivered at 6 a.m. every morning, delivering the most relevant local need to know news and events to make you a more effective participatory member of your community. We're driving economic impact. We share it. It's a five minute conversational read as if you and I were talking over dinner. It's a dialogue that you can respond to every single day. Our staff are designed and working in a manner to help you be a better citizen, to live locally better, to be the locavore type concept that people talk about where you just, you want to be part of your community. And we're seeing more and more of that with divisive politics and media where people are focusing and honing in more on the communities that they live in and wanting to experience that. And so we're really kind of fitting in that, that gap and becoming this this resource for people locally to be more effective members of their community. And it's been highly rewarding. We started in Greenville, South Carolina. Our first newsletter launched in July of 2016. And since then, we have spun our company out of the parent media company, which is Community Journals Publishing Company. We became 6AM City in the end of 2017 and since then have raised capital all from angel investors. We don't take venture capital money or big private equity money. We are funded by people that live in the communities that we serve. And we have grown from one to two to three to seven and now 24 cities across the United States in larger markets like Boston and Austin, Seattle, Portland, San Antonio, Fort Worth, San Diego, down to smaller markets like Greenville, South Carolina, Charleston, Asheville, North Carolina, Lakeland, Florida, where we saw pride in place. We identified cities that were growing. We identified cities with strong charitable giving per capita, where there was strong inflows of people, where we saw social media engagement in a positive manner around new business openings, indicating that people really support and are excited about what's going on in their community. And we have targeted those markets as our expansion markets. And so today we're in 24. We have over three quarters of a million daily email subscribers. We'll be at about 1.2 to 1.5 million by the end of the first quarter of 2022. And the company is, is growing very, very quickly. A year ago, we had 30 employees. Now we have about 130 employees. We've created a sustainable local model that allows these journalists and marketing folks and salespeople to thrive in a local media environment to compensate them higher than they would in traditional media platforms to create good paying jobs within our company to reward them with the right benefits and structure that helps them be successful and have a strong work-life balance, which is something that we wanted to do all along. We wanted to create a sustainable model uh, that was scalable. So I was able to lever my skill set going back to the engineering world and manufacturing supply chain quality systems along with my business partners, media experience and thinking about product and how people want to consume content. And we've delivered something now that has been highly rewarding for us, leaves a legacy and an impact in all the communities that we serve and has created a lot of opportunity for the folks who are members of our team. Okay. So this is the story that we need to start telling about ourselves and each other and what's possible in the future. Because what you just described to me, and I, you, maybe people saw me taking little notes, got, got a pad here. You described to me a system where everybody wins. <laughs> so I don't know in this world where we think there always has to be winners and losers, how that narrative makes sense. Because you just described, if you put enough imagination, enough crazy experiences and the right people asking the right questions, 
in a, any any system, especially a system that really is on its last legs, because that's what local media, let's just be honest about it. That's where local media was until you guys have come along. And I'm sure there are others, which you can share with us if you know other people breathing life up into the local, the this notion of local. But I tell you, I, I love to hear your story, Ryan, because you have found a way to make everybody win. The consumer wins, local businesses win, your company is putting bread on the table now for 130 families that's a win (laughs) in multiple cities so this is a model that's that's the big win for society is that this sounds to me like a model that's transportable there's nothing unique about south carolina or whatever i mean if people have pride in place and they connect with with what you're doing uh, let's see we need to take a break and then we're going to come back and we're going to do just that we're going to help people understand how they can connect with either the scope of what you're doing in their own communities or you your organization personally to further this okay sounds great okay well, let's take a break and when we come back we're gonna uh, we're gonna connect everybody to ryan's journey Hello, I'm Dr. Linda Ulrich, founder of Ever Widening Circles and the podcast you're listening to now, the Conspiracy of Goodness podcast. And I have a question and an answer for you. Have you been hoping the world is actually a lot better than what you see on the news and social media? Well, it is. In fact, it's radically better. There is an enormous wave of goodness and progress well underway in the world that almost no one knows about yet. But on December 1st, 2021, all that changes with the launch of the Goodness Exchange, a digital landscape where you will see that the world is full of goodness and progress, and we will introduce you to the people making it that way. Bottom line, someone is solving every vexing problem in the world, large and small. And the Goodness Exchange is where people are coming together to amplify a future that includes all that. No one with good intention and good ideas need feel alone again. Here's what you'll find at the Goodness Exchange. There will be articles about the most amazing things going on in the world that are going uncelebrated. There'll be interviews and events that will send your mind and heart soaring again and a social media platform dedicated to a culture of kindness, insight, and celebration, a way of um, amplifying a brighter future for us all. And that social media platform is a place where organizations doing good in the world will not have to hold their nose anymore. It can be a trustworthy, respectable place for organizations to host their groups and gatherings and connect with each other a network of positive networks, if you will. The Goodness Exchange will be a place to find mini courses and masterclasses for personal and professional development. And eventually there'll be a jobs board. And we have a children's website already all teed up. The thread running through it all is that goodness um, and progress is everywhere. And we will help people cultivate what they are uniquely built to contribute to this future for us all. Now, imagine a website with no ads, no games, and no agenda. Just a simple and powerful vision of combining our collective strengths to create a future we can all celebrate. The Goodness Exchange will open a new era for us all as individuals, because you're going to find stuff that make your life better instantaneously. 
and as a collective, because we all want a better future for our children. Who knows what's possible if there was a place on the internet that brought out our best impulses and our collective genius. Join us after December 1st at the Goodness Exchange and start living with less fear, more joy as an individual and as a collective future for humanity. Thanks. Now we're back to the interview. Okay, we're back. So Ryan, we spent the first half of this interview describing a story of possibility, one that I'm sure that when you started, you never imagined you'd go on. <laughs> Each step along the way, you probably were pretty sure that this is where you needed to be for right now. And then it turned out to, um, to be something else. And this is the journey that most of us have been on the last two years, <laughs> if not the last 20, the last 10, right? So I have watched this many, many times. I told you uh, right before we started recording today that I talked to one of the founders of this whole local war, why do we care about local movement in 1976. Recently, I interviewed her and she will be on this podcast soon. But she had this incredible concept, which I'd love for you to, you and I to dive into because there's so many places for people to plug in here. It's this notion, she looked at me and she said, Linda, we talk about recycling all the time now. We need to make sure we are recycling money in our communities. We need to make sure that we're investing in the, the local people that make our, our main streets rich and that make our events rich in our community. And that, like you said, that, you know, it should be isolated groups that know about the Hispanic communities festival. We should all know about that and, and have these rich lives at home. So let's take the second half of this interview and help you flesh out this notion of pride in place for us and how, what you're doing and what's happening in the broader sense in each of our communities probably can, can improve our lives. Pride in place. Tell us all about this. So pride in place for us was initially a measure of how passionate people were about their communities. We were seeing that really well in our first city, which is Greenville, South Carolina, and how people show up, speak up, stand up for the things that they believe in, that they get out there and they participate, that there is a long line outside of the sto- the new restaurant that opens downtown, regardless of who is behind it, and especially when it's owned by someone locally. And so we serve as the vehicle to tell people about those things. But the, the real impact comes from people actually taking the time to participate. So when we actually, when we look at our audience, our audience is not necessarily high net worth individuals. It's people who have a high desire to participate locally, meaning that a great example of this is this younger millennial generation. I may want to spend $15 at the local barista's coffee shop every day to forego something else, but they're participating here in their local community and driving that economic impact behind these businesses, which supports the ecosystem within our city. Well, that barista is now going to be advertising in our product and buying, you know, they're spending 250 or 500 bucks to buy some ad that now markets some event that they're hosting in conjunction with the junior league in town. And so now you have the millennial spending money at the store that lets them promote their event that they otherwise wouldn't have. And now you have a hundred people showing up at this junior league event where they're doing some philanthropic fundraising activity and they raise 10 grand. So it all goes round and round. And that's one example with one entity. And we see hundreds and hundreds of those happening 
all the time in our communities. So redirecting spend from some of these bigger corporate entities. I mean, we're so drawn to just want to buy from Amazon some product that came from overseas and not spending the time and effort to connect and shop locally. And that actually hurts the community, especially uh, in times like the past couple of years where you have things like COVID going on and less people out and about. Those storefronts rely on the foot traffic, you know? And so if we don't get people out or let them know or let them know how to participate in other ways. I mean, so many stores locally have really innovated their business models to go to delivery, to e-commerce, to be a resource for the members of their community and their audience, their clients, and, and they've had to pivot and evolve. And the ones who've who really embrace that are some of them are thriving. What we're doing now is creating our own e-commerce brand within our local markets to help connect our readers with all these stores and opportunities because there is this there is a huge gap now where where people are not so much out and participating in brick and mortar stores and and events and things in their market. They need this digital solution to connect and our legacy and national products. So local newspapers aren't doing it because you can't click on the ad in the printed newspaper that's in your doorstep. And then Facebook and Google are in such a, there's such an algorithm behind those things that they're really not connecting you effectively to the things locally because they're elevating more divisive content, not necessarily on purpose, but because the that's trending more and more people click and engage in that, unfortunately, it's trumping out the local value add information. So we're fitting in to, to solve for that on a local level, but we really do look for ways and are excited to see a lot of folks really pivoting back to this pride in place model to supporting local to come back to the urban core to spend money in their local shops to get pissed off when the national chain comes in and takes over some local restaurant spot or whatever it's really interesting to watch and so you're seeing this this stronger passion for community more so than ever before and i think that while spending is important locally participation locally is is also important so one of the things that we've really focused on is participating in boards participating in nonprofits well what other activities there's the parenting group the dog group the mom group the what like whatever you pick it your city has it i mean a lot of people don't necessarily know how to participate locally in that sense beyond spending money Okay, so the, let me just take a break here so people know exactly what we're talking about. So, and I, I may have this wrong, so I'm going to just tell you where I, what I'm understanding, and then you can improve my way of thinking and make sure everybody understands. So, 6 a.m. City at the 100,000 foot look said, uh, or you, you and your co co uh, founder said, wow, there's all this stuff going on here that's so good. Good shops, good events, good people doing magical things that make life better for everyone, uh, nonprofits, all this stuff. And you went, whoa, there is no local media system that can let everybody know what their options are. Let everybody know what there is to enjoy and and participate in and expand and make our community more fun. Okay, so you see the problem. And then you guys have literally looked at the failing models of local media or the ones that are pretty much almost dead and done. And you've resurrected them in new, more imaginative, creative ways. 
And it started, now you can correct me, I'm just kind of going through just to, so it started with a newsletter that arrived at 6 a.m. every day in your city, and and it had, what's going on? What's this? And, and you included advertisers, and they were local, and it was, it was a really a comprehensive, quick look at what the day would bring for people who wanted to be really fully present in their community and have fun. So Ryan, what I love to do on this podcast is to shine a light on what problem the, the, the guest is solving for other people. Because this is it. This is how we make a better future. We've, social entrepreneurs are at their heart solving problems that no one else is focusing on. So tell me how 6AM City actually works in people's lives if they're lucky enough to live in one of your cities. So when our newsletter shows up every morning at six o'clock in the morning, it is really providing all the local news and events to educate you on how to be a more involved citizen in your community. So whether that's, this is the festival that you can go out and participate in this weekend. Here's the new opening of this bakery downtown that you're going to want to check out that this is the, what you need to know about school. Hey, we're going to, we're adding Juneteenth as a holiday next year. And you need to know to plan for that time off or that teachers aren't going to be working on those days or whatever, like whatever the things are that, that are happening in our community that impact your daily life actually locally is what we are sharing so that you know how better to experience and engage in your community. Now, the additional layer beyond the newsletter is that there is an economic impact that drives our cities forward and participating locally through your time, talent, and treasures is important. And so one might be that you're supporting nonprofit by going out and picking up trash along the river. You may be in a position where you can serve on a board locally, or you may be someone who can spend money to help support a local business. And so however you choose to participate, we wanna make sure that you understand your opportunity to do so in your community. And we have gotten a lot of feedback over the past two years that have and have recognized how businesses have evolved to create more e-commerce participation locally that we are now building out an e-commerce brand that uh, transcends all of our markets and allows people to shop and participate locally in their communities directly through our product. So rather than having to go find and participate in all these different locations, we've found we're trying to create a way to more streamline that participation in the community. And while it's not a, a huge revenue generator for us, it does help to make a better user experience for those people in our community who are participating through our product to get to the end game where I know I want to go buy that t-shirt at the local brewery. We're making that that experience a, a more seamless process or buy that local bag of coffee that was you know roasted you know in our community. So that helps to take the focus off of having to participate in buy my Christmas gifts or whatever holiday gifts uh, through Amazon. I can now find ways to participate and do that in my local community, which then gives back. And then again, as we talked, like all this stuff goes full circle. So the more money we can drive into our local businesses, the more our local businesses spend and can do more things in our community for our community members. And these things all, all go round and round. And so it's been pretty rewarding, not only to help people understand how to participate, but to see the participation and then to continue to create operational efficiency in our own product to allow for better user experience, to increase the economic impact locally. But we've, we've really kind of focused on, on getting a highly scalable local media model that is sustainable, not just for our staff, but for the long haul in all of our cities so that we can continue to drive economic impact. And we will continue to think about pride in place 
living locally, and what we can do to drive economic impact, participation through your time, talent, and treasure in the cities that we serve. Uh, and we truly are here to serve these cities. This is this is our opportunity to give back, it's our opportunity to leave a legacy. It is this is what makes us feel good. It's what brings joy to ourselves. The most rewarding part of this business is the feedback we get from readers, literally like hundreds of people a day. I just moved to so-and-so city and I would never have been able to get involved or participate if it wasn't for your product. I had no idea about this nonprofit. I joined it a year ago and I now have this whole new group of friends. I It's just amazing. And those testimonials go on and on, but it, that part is what makes it all worth it for us. And that is something I never could have found in a Fortune 500 company. I never could have found working for somebody in a small business like this. These are, this is creating the opportunity to participate in my community the way that I want to. And we've really figured out now how to scale it. The hardest thing to do in media is to scale quality and consistency of a product, leveraging our, my Fortune 500 experience and the experiences of my business partner. We've figured out how to do this now on a national level, and we can take this to any city in the United States and beyond. So that's a part of the puzzle I definitely want to talk about, because I, I do know that you've got um, opportunity if we've got people inspired about what they can do. But um, I want to talk about that opportunity part for people to advance this this mission you're on. But I just want to go back to one thing. I We don't know when this, when this podcast broadcasts or in the future when people listen to it a year from now or two, where we'll be at with the pandemic. But I just see this as such a timely measure for what we're all up against here. It, it, it has been like a great uh, pressing the great reset button on on commerce and the way we think about, um, you know, I've learned the other day that 69% of us are, consider ourselves values driven consumers. That's huge. That's up 17% from the year before. So if people are, are wanting to use their values in what they what and where they spend their money, this couldn't be a better time for an organization like yours to pop up. I love your approach. Talk to us about how this can expand. Like, what's your vision for what's possible with this and how anybody who might want to can help you with this vision? Because you've got a really cool system there, according to what I, I, I how I look at it. The way that we grow, uh, it does cost money to hire people and to move into new cities. So we have a fixed cost that it takes us to launch in any new market. And so we're able to self-fund some of that. Uh, and have brought on investors. So think of local high net worth individuals or philanthropists in various communities have come to the table to really help us do this where they're not taking a a stake in our business that's swaying it and putting some bias behind it. We work with folks who oftentimes own a local sports team or some other community organization where they're already giving back and, and give them an opportunity to get a little bit of an ROI on the business model. But because we already know that we have built a sustainable, scalable model, we know exactly what it costs to launch and we can go to more. So right now for us, it's capital and partnerships with key folks in different cities that say, Hey, I would love to have this in my community. If I come, I can, if someone came and put some capital on the table up front, we could be there up and launch and running in 60 days. And we could return that capital within 12 months. So we know exactly what this model looks like. We just took a major effort and we went from eight to 24 markets in just six months at the end of 2021. And that was led by uh, local philanthropists in some of the cities that we serve. 
I'm that really recognize the opportunity in the model. So we're, we are always looking for additional relationships where folks really recognize and want to leave an impact on their own city and can say that they've been behind something where we've made this a model that is highly rewarding for them, highly rewarding for their community. And so we are out actively all the time looking for those relationships that can help us take this from 24 to 50 to hundred cities in the United States. And the greater footprint that we have, the more operational efficiency there is in our business and the more effectively and sustainably we can do this for the long haul. I don't think that media should be run by some of the uh, private equity and more divisive means that's behind a lot of what we consume these days. And I think that the model that we've created creates a more unbiased platform that's designed to drive economic impact in the cities we serve. And right now we're kind of in this like David and Goliath mode. We're coming from the bottom and building up. We don't have this massive war chest of capital that some of these other bigger businesses have. So we are going about it in a scrappy, sustainable way that rewards the people who are part of the journey with us. So we are always arms wide open to establish the relationships with those people who really care about the communities that they live in. Now, okay, so this arms wide open, this values-driven connections that you're looking for. I remember that from our original conversation, Ryan. How do people connect with you next? Are you looking for people from certain communities that have a lovely quality of life who are so into this, they have so much pride in place already that they contact you and they say, hey, I'll head up this. How does it work? How do you employ people in these cities? Because I know you're you're looking for employees too. That was your number one problem when I talked to you in September. Yeah, we thought that was we thought that was a problem. Then we realized how many people really wanted to pivot their experience in well, one the Great Resignation, but also a lot of people worked in more toxic environments or they were stuck covering on more unfortunate, divisive media or you know crime and punishment related topics, and really wanted to to do something that that really pivoted to a more joyful content creation opportunity. So we've been able to go out. We've gone from about 30 to 40 folks in the middle of 2021 to almost, we'll have 130 by the end of January. The hiring has actually been relatively easy. We have created a set of values and benefits and compensation structure that's made this rewarding for uh, editorial folks, sales folks, and other creatives that that make up our team. So, so the hiring and staffing journey has been has been good. But when we look at what's next and with the next cities that we go into, aside from some capital to help us go to markets, we've identified probably our top 25 next cities to go to. So we have inbound every single week editors, other marketing folks, people who love their city who are asking how they can participate. So we've identified talent in a lot of the prospective cities. And so now what we can do is match talent with capital and that helps expedite our approach to new markets. So whenever we can identify and align those things, and then specifically with our advertisers, if our advertisers have geographic overlay or regional, so if I have a bank that is in these six states and they, I know that we can generate revenue immediately in a new market, all those things help create a sustainable, quick to launch market. So with or without the talent, with or without the advertising support, the capital investment to help us get up and going, we can launch any city in the United States in 60 days and have a product to market and And we're pretty proud of that. It took a lot of work and refinement. COVID really let us hone in on our business practices and best practices and processes that allow us to do that. And so now it's just a matter of uh, capital and talent coming together to help us continue to expand and to serve more 
more communities in our country. And, and that's what I want to focus as we close out this interview, is that the reason why I think that Ryan is a part of the conspiracy of goodness of our times, yes, it can. we can have that too, is that that's how goodness has always changed the future eventually, is that one by one, we all start doing things quietly a little bit differently and supporting local businesses and becoming a part of our local organizations that lift, that's, that's the tide that lifts all the boats in the harbor up. And when I heard Ryan's story, I knew it's a story that needed to be told. So Ryan, as we close out here, how do people connect with you? What kind of people do you need connecting with you next? I would say just preface to that, anyone can support their community by paying attention to what's going on, who's building businesses and where you can put your money behind those folks. We in the media space have recognized and just by being in the media space, have access to information and people sharing with us. Hey, I'm starting this thing. Can you help me promote it? We do our best to get the word out, but consuming and paying attention to what's going on in your community and really getting behind those folks locally who are trying to make a change is where you can put your dollars and time to work to help elevate uh, your community. And you'll probably find that it's a pretty rewarding experience to support 6am and to help us in our mission. The one most important thing that will help you participate in your communities, if you're in one of our 24 current markets, if you go to 6amcity.com, the number 6amcity.com, you can subscribe for free to any of our newsletters. Our newsletters are entirely free. They're ad supported to ensure that we increase access to everyone in our markets. Go ahead and subscribe, learn more about your community uh, and learn how to participate locally. And then for us, uh, if people, if we're not in your city and you're an editor or somebody who wants to participate from a content creation perspective, or you are a a local angel or philanthropist, and you are looking to put capital behind something to help drive economic impact in your city, you can reach out to us as well. There's contact information through our website. If anyone reaches out and says, I want to, I heard about Ryan on this podcast, and I would love to connect. My team knows what to do and how to get that information to me. And we will make sure that you are responded to. We do operate on inbox zero. Everything that comes in the door gets a response back. So we appreciate feedback, thoughts, comments, and any way that we can help better improve your communities. We're here to listen and be a participatory member of the local media landscape in your city. Um, so it's ours to build. It's our reality to create. That's right. Everyone yeah. plays a role. Everyone has an opportunity. We've created a foundation to help that be a sustainable, scalable success in your market. So we look for everyone to do their part. We're doing the best that we can. And together we can really help make our communities be a better place. Lovely. Well, that is perfect words to close out our interview today. And I'll encourage people to go to the, the Goodness Exchange. This is a place that we are trying to elevate people exactly like Ryan, innovators who have found ways to make wins for everyone. That future is possible if we've got enough imagination and we all come together. I hope you'll take Ryan's connections, his insights, all the things that he offered for us to look into and use that progress to carry you through your week. And you'll start finding all the joy and wonder that he and I have been talking about today. Ryan Heafy, thank you so much. Thank you, Linda. It was an exciting time. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.